Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that my latest book, Dwell on These Things, is now available in stores and online. The book is a 31-day challenge to talk to yourself like God talks to you. And if you're up for that kind of challenge, I think you'll find the book helpful. I think now is a great time for us to replace feelings of discouragement with a sense of God's goodness, to practice seeing ourselves in the loving way God sees us, to exchange negative self-talk for gospel-saturated truth, and to learn to face each day with hope in our hearts. There's a link to the book in this episode's description, and if you want to take a sneak peek at the first three chapters, just head over to DesireJesus.com and take a look. You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast, a regular dose of Christ-centered encouragement to put your mind in a better place. Listen in as Pastor John Stonge shares Bible studies, interviews, training, and some of his most recent sermons. We're glad to have you with us today. You're listening to Dwell on These Things podcast. I'm John Stonge, and today we have a very special guest with us. He's the author of Awake and Alive to Truth, Finding Truth in the Chaos of a Relativistic World. He's also the host of the excellent podcast Cooper Stuff and the lead singer of one of my favorite bands, Skillet. Today we have John Cooper with us. John, welcome to Dwell on These Things. Well, thanks so much. That's a very nice introduction. I appreciate it. I love the name of this podcast. Yeah, based really on uh, Philippians 4.8, dwell on these things. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's great advice. <laughs> great advice, great counsel, something easy for us to say and, and sometimes a little challenging for us to do, even in the midst of all the things that get uh, you know thrown in front of our face all the time. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So I, I have a whole bunch of, uh, you know, serious questions and grown-up questions, but I'm going to start off with something that's not so serious. What's it like? <laughs> that we, we have the same first name, but what's it like to actually go through life with a last name that's easy to pronounce? Because nobody gets my last name right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I always thought that, uh, yeah, you know, I wanted more of, more of a rock star name, like something maybe that was hard to pronounce, you know, or something like, you had these great, I don't know, just these great names. Of course, like Alice that, Cooper, he, he's Alice, a rock star. Yeah. So. Well, Ying you know Lee Malmsteen. You know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, that, right? That's, that's exactly right. You know, Mutt Lang, you know, yeah, those, those just have these like great names. And I always felt that mine was a little boring. But, but now there is a, uh, is it the mayor of, of Nashville or whoever it is in Nashville is called John Cooper. So it's like, the the mayor or somebody so people when he was running for office a few years ago people are saying oh i see you're running for office in nashville it kind of became a joke so there you go i i am not a politician (laughs) yeah you're not a politician but yeah see if it gets you in somewhere be like hi i'm john cooper oh his id that's right (laughs) (laughs) that's that feels right to me that's right absolutely well, it, again, it's a real privilege to have you with us today, and I'm just curious how this year has been for you, because every uh, friend that I have that serves in the in the music industry and, and entertainment industry, this has obviously been a year with all sorts of interruptions, and I've seen that you've adapted in a variety of ways doing drive-through uh, or drive-in um, you know, concerts and things like that, but how, how's this year been for you? Lots of changes, lots of pivots that have taken place, I'm sure. 
Uh, yes, a year a year of pivoting for musicians. You know, I think that for me and Corey, uh, Corey's my wife. I think for me and Core, um, it was actually a really great year. Now, that's not to say that it's not strange because we've been married uh, for twenty four years and we've spent the entire our entire marriage on the road. So it was a, a, a pivoting from that, and also we raised kids on the road. So right. all of a sudden, we're all at home trying to learn how to live a normal life, but. Putting down the music for a while was not boring for us because we jumped into other things. And one of the things that we really jumped into was our, our local church. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've always been a, a part of our local church. and was very important to us, but we were able to be more involved and help out and fill in some holes where it was needed to serve. And, and one of the places that we served was that we did not have a young adults leader. And I was like, hey, we're not playing for six more months or seven more months. And I think we can do that. And so my wife and I took over the young adults group at our church to try to help with discipleship and things like that. So I think that we have a very unique story. It's very different about whose skill it is, is that really skill it's not really about even music. Skillet is about the message uh, of Christ. It, it is about spreading the great news of the gospel of Christ and doing kingdom work. However, we can be involved in spreading the news of the kingdom. That's what we want to do. And so music was set down and we were like, okay, let's get involved. It's young adults right. time. So that was kind of cool for me personally. It was also a great year because I, uh, I really love reading and I love studying and, and all this kind of stuff. And I just had a lot more time to do that. And I read an epic amount of material Mm -hmm. in the last year. And I kind of, it was kind of a really great time to catch up with things that I I needed to study to be frank. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. You, you, you made uh, good use of the year. It seems like those that navigated the year best are those that stayed in motion. Those that kind right. of just sat around <laughs> waiting for, you know, life to return to normal quickly uh, tended to find <laughs> disappointed. So, yeah, the PJs, you know, people that never got out of their PJs for, for a year, it's, it's going to be hard to kind of get back into the race, you know. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, I learned a new term yesterday. Someone referred to something as a Zoom mullet. And I said, what is a Zoom mullet? <laughs> and, and she said, that, that's when you have like a dress shirt on, but your pajama pants, you know, so it's all business <laughs> up top, but then you're wearing your pajama that's pants. That's pretty good. I, like, I, right. I like that. I might have to borrow that. I like it. There's a <laughs> lot of that going on. Uh, is well, enough and, of that going on? It needs a name. Yeah, it, it does. And, and I will confess that I've done that, although I'm not doing that right now, but I have done that most certainly. Right, so, right, right. So I, I've been familiar with you and your music for, for quite a few years now. Uh, but several years ago, a friend of mine shared one of your Facebook posts that got my attention. And it was a post where you shared some of your concerns for the church and some of the leadership celebrities that had kind of cropped up in, in certain church contexts. And also the gradual drift that, that you started to see. Uh, it was a drift away from the fidelity towards Scripture, a drift away from a clear understanding of who Jesus is. And you decided to share some thoughts about that and speak out about that. So what's inspired you to begin speaking, about, speaking out about this like you have? You know, I think one of the things, um, I would explain it like this, and I don't know, uh, depending on what, what age people are, they, they might recognize this or they might not. And so if you're, if you're young, if you're 20, then I'll just, I'll, I'll teach you something. I'll learn you something real good here, okay? And uh, I think it's probably easy to say this. 20 years ago, I think even 10 years ago, personally, 
there was a set of assumptions. If somebody said, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, there was a set of presuppositions and assumptions that we all kind of had. And so perhaps it was naive. I don't know. But but I never really talked about those assumptions all that often. It was like, okay, we're Christians, and that means X, Y, and Z. That means that you believe that the Bible is the authoritative word of God, because that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, there's a certain naivety to that in 2021, but 10 or 15 years ago, I, I was unaware of that. And I think that a lot of people, a lot of lay people in churches were unaware of that. And I think what happened for me around 2012 and 13 is when I began noticing people are saying the weirdest stuff. I don't recognize the language. They're using words that I don't understand. Even pastors are using phraseology that is a little, it's foreign enough that it's giving me pause. You know, I've I've been in church since I was a kid. And now you're saying something that that I'm going, I don't know if that's exactly what the Bible says. Mm. 10 years ago, I would have assumed we meant the same thing and just thought maybe you have a different phraseology than I do. But I started questioning it. And, and, and I was right to question it because now we are in a time when you cannot trust any of those presuppositions. Mm-hmm. I meet people all the time now that say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't believe that the Bible is actually the word of God, but I am a follower of Jesus. Or mm-hmm. I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't believe that his death on the cross was literal. Or that it was atoning. You hear that sometimes. I, mm-hmm. I believe it was a picture of God's love for us, but I don't believe that his work was actually atoning, meaning that the father poured John Cooper's sin on top of Jesus Christ and he and he paid the price for my sin. Mm-hmm. That's a huge part of the gospel. And, and if sure Jesus is. didn't actually pay for my sin, then I'm in a pretty bad place here. Uh, that is not Christianity if you believe that. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people act like it is now. That wasn't a thing 20 years ago. So sometimes I like to say this for if you're if you're watching this podcast and you're younger, that might be enlightening to you. You might not know that. If you're 30, 40 years old, it might even be enlightening to you. You might be like, oh, that's why I don't understand what some of these people mean when they say all these various things. So we're at a time where you have to really start being, I hate to say it, you got to be very aware mm-hmm. of what you're hearing. And, and it, it's kind of it's kind of bothersome because you're talking to people and you don't want to be so ultra aware of pin, pinpointing, nitpicking every single thing someone says. Mm. But at the same time, you go, I, I want to make sure we're actually on the same page and not mm-hmm. taking some of these things for granted. So that is when I started speaking up more about these things and the fact that it was happening in the Christian market with worship leaders, with pastors, with influencers. It was really alarming to me because most young people are more influenced by influencers mm-hmm. than they are a traditional church pastor, you, you know, local church authority type situation which I think is a real bummer. That's a whole nother conversation. Sure. I think that that's uh, not, not um, a, a positive thing. I think that's actually quite negative, mm-hmm. but we can talk about that or not. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's but I when I um when I saw that post when a friend of mine who's a pastor shared it, I thought, "Wow, I this was I I didn't uh I, I found it refreshing to be honest with you, just because I I thought so often I've seen in music and and I'm just, you know, a huge music fan and have been my entire life, and I would watch the Lord give certain musicians and Christian musicians in particular He'd bless them with a platform, but then they'd they'd use the platform to just be as generic as they could possibly be sometimes and not really call things out in an edifying way. It was just kind of go with the flow. Don't upset anyone. Don't don't, you know, make any waves. Don't be too specific. Uh, you know, all the Christians will know that if you use the word love, you really mean Jesus, but just use love so it gets regular radio play and stuff like that. And so when I saw your post, I thought, wow, he nailed it. I, I, I thought, you know, I've enjoyed Skillet's music for a long time, but now, uh, you know, it developed a deeper respect that I had for you and for the band when I saw that post. And so thank you for being willing to, to actually share some of those thoughts. Well, that's really encouraging. You know, I think you just hit on something that I, I since I am a musician, maybe it, it'll be interesting for people to hear. You hit on something that, that I, I, I agree with, which is that I think, again, 10, 15 years ago, even in Christian music, I had an assumption, as you just said, that if you use the word love or this, Christians know what you're talking about. And, and that's, that's good. I think that that's great. That, of course, that's what we're all talking about. I think that those assumptions are, are now in 2021 are a little bit naive. And in my mind, I kind of thought, that's good. We'll, we'll, we'll do that. And you can get a, a, a broad group of people listening to your music. And then when you do a podcast for dwell on these things, mm. or you do an interview or you go to a live concert as a musician, I get to say, this is what this song is about. So, you know, for the last 12 years, I've been, we have a song called hero. It's a skillet mm-hmm. song. And in the song, I never say that my hero is Jesus. If you're Christian, you may assume that. I, mm-hmm. I assumed people would assume that. But for the last 12 years in concert, whether I you know, play with a Christian band or a secular band or at a secular music festival or a whatever, I, before the song, I get to say, I'm dedicating this song to my hero, Jesus Christ. The, he's my Lord and Savior. And it's just a little bit of clarity to say, yeah, I wrote a song that can mean something different to different people, but this is my intention of it. And, mm-hmm. and so I think you're right. I think that, that a little bit of that naivety is gone. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, I do think that it's important that Christians begin to, to get a little bit more clear about, about what our gospel is. So I think you nailed it on the head. I do think a lot of Christian musicians probably aren't, I'm not being mean to anybody, but might not be all that clear about what the gospel actually entails. And I don't mean that they have bad intentions. I think they just believe in sort of a lowest common denominator. Mm-hmm. Jesus is God. He died. And, and, and that's pretty much the only thing that matters, guys. And I, I would say that's not the only thing that matters. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's number one. But there's a lot more to who he is and what God's character is and what he expects of you. If you indeed, indeed feel that you can call him Lord, then right. he should be actually Lord. Right. Yeah. He, he gets to call the shots. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 you know, you've been in the music industry for a couple decades now. You've been, you've been at this for a while. This has been, you know, this is your life's work. This is, you know, your, your a, a adult life. You've been doing this the whole time. And um, how often do you encounter people who, 
you know, as you're sharing some of these thoughts, encourage you, oh, you know, don't, don't get specific about your theology. Don't get specific about your beliefs. You know, just just kind of keep it keep it on the entertainment side. What's your favorite response to that when people maybe give you that kind of feedback? Right. <laughs> I think that part of the reason that I really came out speaking out what was a, a genuine I was dismayed. I, maybe that's the best way to say it. I, I was very uh, disillusioned dismayed almost like i don't understand why i don't understand why we're even saying that we're writing songs about christ if we are not willing to be loyal to christ mm-hmm. I, I couldn't wrap my head around even the the worldview <laughs> and so i do have a little bit of a general um it's just flabbergasting and so i guess i just say hey from you have two two points of view in this you have the artist answer for the question you just asked me and you have the uh christian disciple answer mm-hmm. <laughs> so right. uh, th- but they you know they're they're both to me in the affirmative of why you should talk about what you believe from an artist's perspective whether you're christian or atheist or whatever great art is supposed to be authentic mm-hmm. i mean i mean that is kind of the idea of what makes good art right right and so if you're an atheist and and you hate god or whatever your story is well then your art kind of reflects that and the world they they grade it as good art if it's provoking it might be offensive mm-hmm. but offensive can mean provoking mm-hmm. well if that's what good art is then why can't my music be provoking why can't it in a certain way, why can't my music be offensive to someone who doesn't like Christ? Do, do you know what I mean? Because sure. yeah, it should be, it should provoke them to thinking something that makes good art. And then on the dis- Christian discipleship side, it's a little bit like I just think of the disciples. How can we be silent about all that we've seen and heard? We've been with Jesus. We've seen the miracles. We've seen what he's done. How mm-hmm. could we be silent about that? And even though we haven't walked with Jesus in the flesh, uh, is the miraculous change in our hearts of any less consequence? No, it's a, it is a change of heart. that ch- It changes how you think of things. It changes your bent away from a, a bent towards sin and unrighteousness and wickedness to a bent towards wanting to please God, which is a miracle of, of the Holy Spirit. How can we be silent about that? So I guess when people say that to me, I challenge them on two fronts. I say, I don't think you're being a great Christian disciple, and I don't think you're being a true artist, to be frank. Yeah. Yeah, it's and like what you said there, just the idea of, of art provoking. Uh, one of the uh, I've often said, you know, I'm speaking uh, to my church, is that the gospel, it heals, but it offends typically before it heals. We're, we're typically offended by the thought that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. But when I acknowledge the fact that I can be saved by that savior and receive <laughs> that gift, that makes a huge difference. It's healing. Yes. Wonderful. But my attention was grabbed when I was provoked and, um, and I, I like that. And I, I, I even your description there, as you're saying, good art can be a useful tool doing that same exact thing. I think that that's a great way that you just said it. I mean, the gospel does, it, it does offend. And and if the gospel doesn't offend, I mean, I hate to be a fundamentalist here, which I'm not, but I hate to sound like one, but 
if the gospel's not offensive, then you probably aren't preaching it right. I mean, and I'm not saying that means that I'm always, I'm, I'm not always preaching it right. I know that. Right. But as I've gotten older, I've realized that I have been guilty, just like a lot of other people. So mm. I'm in, I'm in with the guilty here. Yeah. That I think that we, I think that a lot of my generation felt, let's see, how do I say this? The technical term for it might be, it's called, you know, maybe like, uh, therapeutic moralistic deism or something right. you know it's almost sure. like our job is to explain to people just that god is real and he loves them and that's the end of the story and it is a lot easier to convince people of that than to convince people that you're guilty of sin and you need to repent and that the benefits of the kingdom of god are available to you if you repent but if you don't repent you do not get to walk in the blessings of the kingdom of God. That's not a thing. I think that we've done a lot of damage and my generation was very responsible for that. And I know that I've been responsible for that as well. So I've tried to change my tune on that. And in the last handful of years of realizing without repentance, there is, there is no uh, benefits of the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, this, this generation right now, uh, you know, they're growing up in a very interesting time. My wife and I, we have four kids, two are in college, two are in high school. And um, my wife teaches full time at a university. And I teach there from time to time, just in an adjunct capacity. But that means we both get to interact with students over there. And um, we my wife and I were discussing this recently, how they're growing up in a very almost confusing time for the church, where I think in our generation, we were trying hard not to be legalistic because we had seen the effects of legalism and how unhealthy it was. And so there was kind of a reaction against that. We don't want to be legalistic because people had taken that stuff way too far. And now you have a generation of people that, that seem like they've grown up in a context where license is kind of the issue. So there's a spectrum of legalism and license that we're all kind of wrestling with. And what do you suppose, you know, what would you, you say just by, by word of advice, what's the, the, how can we take the word of God seriously without going to either one of those extremes, whether it be legalism or license? Mm. Well, I think that that's pretty poignant. I agree with that, that I think my generation was absolutely terrified of legalism or uh, sometimes it'd be called fundamentalism in in a certain case. Um, We were absolutely terrified of that. And people were always, you know, whatever, but you you know, one of the things that I have talked about recently uh, that I've really come to grips with is that there really is a remarkable amount of Christians that don't know that the, the moral law of God is good <laughs> because that we've kind of confused that the whole like you're not under the law you're under grace mm-hmm. thank god we are under grace right right thank right. god that we're under grace but that doesn't mean that the law is bad the, the law brings death because it shows you how much you you can't live up to it of course mm-hmm. and so in my life and in my friends and the people that i connect with i'm always reading these old testament scriptures like uh, is it Psalm one? Uh, sorry, Psalm one or Proverbs one? I believe it's Psalm one. You'll you'll know that says, uh, "Blessed is he who does not walk in the way of sinners, nor sit yeah, in the Psalm seat one. of Psalm one." Yeah, Psalm right. one. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, nor sits in the seat of mockers. Uh, blah blah. But he meditates on God's law day and night. God's law is actually a really wonderful thing. So I guess that my my encouragement to people would be like, 
it, it, it's a celebration of grace, a celebration of grace that you can never earn this. You can't actually live according to the law without the Holy Spirit, right? Without the Holy right. Spirit, you cannot do that. It's a celebration of that grace. But I, in my opinion, the more I understand how often that I do not uphold the law, mm-hmm. the more thankful I am for grace. It's almost like the more I see how bad I am, the more thankful I am for Jesus. Yeah. And it makes me want to live a, a more sanctified life, you know, holy living, I guess you would say. So I would encourage people in that, you know, yes, we don't want to be legalistic. We want to celebrate grace and grace should drive our hearts to want to obey our Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you recently wrote your your book, Awake and Alive to Truth. And, um, and it, you know, it, I had a chance to read the book now. And uh, I, I just finished it last week. So as a fellow author, uh, I'm, I'm always curious to know about and the publishing process of other authors. So how did this book come about? And tell us a little bit about your experience while writing it. Sure. Uh, I started writing it on uh, several years ago. I was on the road. And uh, the reason I ended up, I was thinking I'll write it when I get off tour, you know, so on and so forth. But I, it was just burning in me. And uh, as a fellow author, I'm sure you know what I mean. I'm like, I got to get this out. But one of the reasons it was burning in me is because we were doing, a, at the time, a, a world tour. So we toured America, we toured Europe, we toured Russia, Australia. And I was I was just amazed that the same things happening in America that that God's you know leading me to write about they're happening in Russia they're happening in Australia uh, this whole postmodern um, takeover of the world if you will mm-hmm. kind of displacement of objectivity and objective truth and Western you know um, whatever enlightenment thought if you want to call it that. All of that is happening around the entire world. And I was like, I got to write this now. So I wrote it in, in about 13 different countries. I was writing it wow. before yeah, I was writing it before concerts. And, uh, and I'm not an academic person. I love the Bible and I love theology. I don't claim to be a, a great theologian, but I love it. But I was having to do so much study that my, my brain was fried. I remember one time going on stage, my wife, right before stage, my wife was like, John, we have a concert in 30 minutes. You've got to get ready. I'm typing and I'm reading and <laughs> and I was like, and I got on stage at second song into the set. I was, I started forgetting the lyrics to this song. I was singing. Oh, no. I, I never forget lyrics 25, four years. And I started, and all I could think of in my brain, I was like, well, you know, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Critical theory means that, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was like in my brain, I was like, that's the difference between critical theory. And the, anyway, and You're still um, writing the book in your mind. <laughs> yeah, I was I was like, John, you've got to unplug. But anyway, that's what really why I wrote the book. But but I think that what was shocking to me was the amount of publishers who were interested in doing a book with me uh, based on some of the other things I had written that, that you mentioned, uh, the you know, social media posts and whatnot and the fact that I have an Instagram following or what have you social media following. And when I gave them the, the book, none of them wanted to, to release it. (laughs) None of them. I was like, nobody wants to No, no, here's what, here's the different idea. And their ideas were really good, but they, but they weren't the ideas that I felt God was 
giving right. to me. It wasn't what I was supposed to deliver. And for me, I felt like it was a, it was a watering down of what I felt that a generation needs to hear. So, I, so I just published it myself. I, I just was like, um, my job is being a musician. So writing books isn't my job. I feel God gave this to me and I need to, to give it to, to, mm-hmm. to who God wants it. So mm-hmm. it, it was a lot of work. I got to be honest. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting the amount of work involved in the details, not the writing of the book, the mm-hmm. details of getting a book out. It's a lot of work. It sure is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I love the way you put the book together because when you, when you read through the book, you have a, a blend that, and when books are, are written like yours, they keep my interest. I don't get bored as I'm working my way through a book like yours because it, you've got personal stories. So you've got a strong blend of, of personal stories, experiences that you've had throughout the course of your life, cultural observations, and then also biblical insights that you're trying to share with the reader. So you're, you're not just, it doesn't read like a textbook, but yet it's teaching you deeper level theory. It's teaching you deeper level biblical application. It's also giving personal life experience and ways in which you've interacted with these thoughts and things like that. So what do you hope will be the big takeaway for readers if they take the time to read Awake and Alive to Truth? Well, I'm really glad to hear you say that. Thanks very much. You know, I, I do feel that um, my, my strengths and weaknesses are this, um, I'm just going to come out with them. My weaknesses, I am not an intellectual person. I'm, I am not, um, I failed out of college. Well, I dropped out of college. I was <laughs> failing and I dropped out to do music. Uh, I, I have a bit of an ADD thing and I didn't know how to harness that when I was younger. I've learned to harness it now, but I am not an academic person. What I think that I'm, I'm good at is that I am observant. I have a knack for philosophy, but um, I think what I'm good at is putting things into practical terms um, that kids can understand. And when I say kids, I mean even 10-year-olds, 8-year-olds, things like that. And what I think is good about the book and what I hope to answer your question that people get out of it, I always tell people, (laughs) uh, my book is Theology for Dummies. (laughs) You do not have to be smart. I know you probably can't sit there with a, a... systematic theology from Charles Hodge or something like that. It's that Calvin It's that thick. Hmm. Is anybody finished Calvin's institutes? You know, anyway, we um, all pretend we have, <laughs> Yeah, that's right. We all quote people who read Calvin's <laughs> institutes. Yeah, anyway. Exactly. Um, so I always tell people, yeah, I get it. You don't understand that, but, but true Bible theology is actually not that hard to understand in its simplest forms. Um, it's just that, the technical terminology gets a little bit in the weeds, but in the end, it's actually pretty easy to understand. It's this original sin. You're born into sin. You have a bent towards wickedness and there's nothing you can do to get out of it. You will choose the wrong way. You need Jesus. (laughs) Jesus paid the price so that you won't have to pay the price. That's not an incredibly complex idea, but we have a whole lot of terminology for it that makes it so. And so um, I would, I hope that people get number one, I do have a lot of followers that are not Christian and they don't really understand what Christianity is. And I hope that this makes it clear to them Mm -hmm. and gives them a chance to receive Christ as their savior for the first time and to understand why they need Christ as their savior and the goodness of God. And then number two, I do hope that there's a segment of people maybe that grew up in the church 
who may truly be born again, maybe not, maybe who knows, but has never fully understood the faith that they were raised in. Maybe they've been raised in church, but didn't quite understand why that is different than, as we said earlier, than um, universalism or, or something of that nature, why these things are different. And, and it kind of speaks to the chaos of the day. Everybody's thrown around every single day. No, no. Jesus offers us truth that never, ever changes, never changes. Doesn't matter what somebody comes out on Twitter tomorrow it, with a brand new idea. That brand new idea is going to be proven to be a not brand new and B it's going to be false. Jesus yeah, right. is truth never changes. And, and that brings a lot, that should bring peace to a generation. You tried to do with this book, as I'm hearing how you just described that, you try to do with this book what I think good pastors try and do with a sermon. So, you know, if, 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 you're, if you're up there speaking, so I've been a pastor right around the same time you started in your music career. That's when I started in my pastoral career, to, uh, 98. So you're like 97, right, when you got? Yeah, 96, actually. Or 96, yes. okay. Same, so, same good old days of the 90s. That's right, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> And, and so, um, it, you know, I always think when I'm preaching a sermon, I, I'm looking at, I try and make, you know, contact with as many faces as I can. So there's somebody in the congregation that's 75 years old. There's also somebody in the congregation that is 10 years old, and now they're sitting in the sanctuary, not going down for children's church. And I think, all right, this message has to have something that's understandable and relatable for that 10-year-old and for that 75-year-old. And if I don't communicate in such a way that that both groups can grasp, I'm not really serving this congregation well. And I see you trying to do that in the way you wrote this. So I think some, sometimes I think people, you know, when they're writing on theology or writing on scripture, it's almost like they forget how Jesus taught when Jesus was, you know, walking with the disciples. What did he do? He would take a story and he, it would be very poignant, but it would not be inaccessible. And he didn't use a whole bunch of complicated terms. Those are terms we've made up to make the gospel sound complicated or to make our knowledge of the gospel sound like we've actually studied something, you know, uh, <laughs> like I, I like the way he did it. And so, you know, I see you incorporating stories. Stories are what make my mind remember things and they hold my attention. I see Jesus doing that in the gospels. I'm trying to do that in my writing and in my preaching. And I think that gives us all the opportunity to, to really join Jesus in what he was doing in the way he actually did it. I love that. I think, I think you're right. I think that that's what a, to me, a great pastor does is, is it's not a, it's not theology class. It's like, this right. is what the scripture means and this is what it's like for your real life. And, and, and I think under that sort of leadership, even if that um, lay person or teenager or whoever, even if they don't know all these terms, in my view, if you walk out you know, week after week after week, if you, you begin to walk out of church with a deep understanding of how holy God is and how unlike God, we are most of the, we act most of the time, but yet we have his righteousness and he is the Lord of all. And here's how you can live that. I think that we would see a revival in the American church. It's just a matter of, are we going to begin to, 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 to live like Christ? Or are we going to come up with a bunch of reasons why we don't need to live like Christ, <laughs> yeah. which is what I see in the church so often now. So I think that that's really commendable and wonderful. I love it. 
Well, I, I, well, thank you. And I really appreciate the, that that seems to be the spirit with which you put together the content in your book. I think you, you've made it very accessible for the reader. And they're not going to be bored if they read it. They're going to learn something, but they're not going to be bored. It's, it's very engaging. And I think that's useful. And speaking of not being bored, uh, so I have taken my family to see Skillet in concert several times. All right. So oh, cool. <laughs> the, the first time we saw you in concert was when you were touring with Toby Mac. And uh, this would have been right around, I think it would have been right around 2010, possibly 2011. So yep. you were on the Awaken Alive tour, you know, you're, and uh, Toby was, uh, uh, let's see, the song you did with him tonight. Tonight. Was, uh, you know, because you came out with him there and all That's that. That's right. So, you know, my kids, my oldest ones are in college now. So that's, you know, 11 years ago. Right. Wow. Uh, and uh, so at that point, they're all in single digits. And um, this is one of the biggest concerts we had taken them to. It was in Hershey and uh, place was packed. Um, and we were in a section where we were, you know, close enough to the stage that we could really experience a whole bunch of things. And when you guys came out, you use a lot of pyrotechnics and fire and, and stuff like that in your in your stage presentation. <laughs> I will never forget when you guys took the stage and then those pillars of fire just boom, come up from the stage and you can feel the heat when you're in the in the crowd and watching my my daughters in particular, their faces <laughs> they kind of panicked and they they both my wife and I were sitting right behind where they were. They were standing on the railing or they were leaning against the railing and they both turn around toward us because they literally thought they were in a building that just blew up. <laughs> and they look at their parents and we're just smiling and having a nice time and they're panicking. And it dawns on my wife and I were like, oh, wait, wait a second, guys. No, the building's not on fire. That's that's just what what skillet does. <laughs> that's skillet. <laughs> that's just that's just skillet. And then they and it took them a second to kind of adjust to this and they're like oh uh okay <laughs> so it's safe for us to be here yeah yeah we're all good we're every, everything's good this they just have a great show get get ready there's gonna be lots of that <laughs> that is so wonderful man i love that yeah it's, it is funny because <laughs> i sometimes say you know these days it seems to be parents that are more comfortable with the volume of a skillet show then sometimes young people because they've never seen anything like it before and and you know our generation well we i mean we grew up seeing mtv or kiss sure. or whoever fireworks and the whole thing and and i always think uh it should be a spectacle you should go to a skillet show and it should be a spectacle so that's a. Uh, you know, job well done, even if you scare some folks, I guess. That's right. No, you guys do a great <laughs> job. I think we, we've seen you guys in concert three times now. So, and I saw. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, let's see. And so I'll give a plug for your show in, in Sayreville, New Jersey. You've got coming up on September 18th. And I looked to see how far away that was from me. Uh, and I think that's about a half hour from me. So you might see our family Woo! in uh, Sayreville, New Jersey, September 18th. Get okay. out and support Skillet. <clears throat> you got it, man. Come on now. Come on. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We got it. We got to celebrate the fact that we're all getting together for concerts again. So. Oh, th honestly, I am so happy. People need it so bad. You know, we're, we're, we're on tour now. We only just started. We've only, been, let's see, I'm getting, what month are we in? We're in yeah, June. Uh, end of June. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So it's only been about eight weeks. Right. So, uh, you know, basically in, in mid May. And so anyway, the point is, is that, um, when we came back out, people were just like, some people were crying at the concerts. You know, I, I I, I, there was this just emotion and we went down and played 
um, the first, I would call it like normal show in mm-hmm. Florida, meaning no social distancing. Everybody is outside. Everybody's right. next to each other's felt just like it did a year and a half ago. Yep. I have to be honest. It was quite emotional. Actually, it was, I believe it. It was this, Oh my gosh, how much people need, we need each other. We need to be around human beings yep. and there are things more important in life. You know, and Christians should know that more than anyone. We understand in the body of Christ and the church, how we actually need other people. Yeah. <laughs> we should have the best theology of that than anybody. Yeah. So right. anyway, it's pretty exciting. It, it is. I, I'm excited to see it. I, I, I was looking through your tour dates and thinking, all right, are they going to be close by? And so you are. So you awesome. don't be surprised when you when you hear our. But we're we're going to be ready for the fire this time. We're we're seasoned skillet <laughs> yeah. attenders. So yeah, all right, awesome. few fun questions for you as we wrap things up today. Let's have so fun. I, and and, uh, and and I I I love asking these questions because I think it, it gives us a, a kind of a deeper picture of some of the people that we get the chance to talk to here. But what bands did you listen to most growing up, and did you go through music phases? And the reason I'm asking that, I remember at one point I was really big into Motley Crue, and so my bedroom was all Motley Crue, and then uh, my Motley Crue phase got replaced with a Guns and Roses phase, and so then my bedroom's all Guns and Roses, and. All, you know, those were phases. I, I was in and out of that, but a perpetual phase for me has been Striper. That one hasn't ended yet. So I'm still <laughs> in my Striper phase. And we had the chance a few months ago to talk to Michael Sweet here on the podcast. So I'm just curious, you know, tell us about your phases. What, what, what phases did you go through? Well, that's really cool. You know, I had a, uh, a door poster. You remember where the door poster is? It's the, the huge poster that, that fits on the entire door. Yeah. yeah. Some young people might not know what that is. I yep. had a, a striper door poster. Nice. That I had uh, to like, I fought with my parents for so <laughs> long. And m- my mom at the time was going through a radiation and chemotherapy for cancer. So oh. she had no hair. And my mom would come in. She would look at the drummer who was called Robert Sweet. And she would say, I've been praying for if, if God ever gives me my hair back, I'm praying for my hair to look like Robert. Sweet. I want that hair. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, isn't that a funny story? Um, but uh, short version is, is I was not allowed to listen to any rock music growing up. I mean, wow. I, my, I mean, rock music was the worst thing in the, the only thing more satanic than rock and roll is was Christian rock and roll as oh, far wow. as my parents. So all that to say, I had I had a double life. Mm-hmm. Everywhere I went to school, my friends to the mall. You know, in the eighties, you couldn't right. escape. Where are you going to go where you don't hear Motley Crue or Bon Jovi? Right. So I loved that music. Mm-hmm. But at home, I finally convinced myself. Uh, excuse me, my parents to let me listen to some select Christian artists, and yeah. so I spent most of my time listening to bands that that are like Petra. Petra is one of my favorite bands of all time. They were great and are great. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And so much, um, so much Bible theology in Petra songs. I learned tons oh, about the Bible from Petra. Um, Striper, certainly on the list. Uh, bands like that, I just love. Amy Grant, even yes. some of the Christian contemporary stuff. Um, Russ Taff. Yeah. One of my all time favorites. I, I listen to Russ Taff. There's not a week that goes by that I don't listen to Russ Taff. There's a, a pastor friend of mine who told me, he, he and I, I, I think he's still keeping with this, but he told me this maybe 30 years ago. He said, when I die, I want Ain't No Grave by Rust Half played at my funeral. 
And, and I said, okay, well, I'm going to try and remember that for you. That was 30 years ago. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you changed your mind? Oh yeah. Yes, Russ, yeah. Russ Taff is, is just amazing. And I still, music has that power, right? Yeah. You, you listen to it and you're transported back to where you were when you first heard totally. it, what you were going through. And so Christian music has a uniqueness to it. Because when I hear Bon Jovi, I'm transported back to having fun with my friends. But when I hear Russ Taff, Mm -hmm. I'm transported back to what God was doing in my life and what I was going through. And and then I celebrate my salvation more because God saved me from so much of that stuff. Exactly. Christian music is special. Yeah, it sure is. And, I, and I'm grateful, you know, even as I described my uh, my youth there to you in, in referencing some of those phases that I went through, I was grateful that obviously I wasn't getting a whole lot of Christian influence from some of the bands I was listening to. <laughs> so I was grateful that as I grew a little bit older and started taking my faith in Christ more seriously, that I had Christian music to feed that for me. And I, I mentioned to Michael Sweet, I said, a lot of my, same thing you just said about Petra, I said, a lot of my early theological understanding came from striper songs as I was trying to wrap my head around what does it actually mean to be a Christian? Wow. Or, you know, and, and so I, I was glad I got to tell him that. And, but I'm, I'm also saying that to you because I'm grateful for what you do because you're doing that for a generation right now. And we really appreciate that as a father of four kids. I'm, I'm extremely pleased with that. Um, That's awesome. Thank you. All right. Another uh, fun question for you. When you're touring, what snack or restaurant is your guilty pleasure? Uh, Dr. Pepper. Look at, look at this. Okay. Look at this right here. I I, see this here. I have to go find uh, (laughs) some sort of gas station that has a big gulp or whatever. And I, and it has to be a fountain Dr. Pepper because it tastes different from it does. It does. I'm, I'm with you 100%. You get the fresh Dr. Pepper, the just, the just made Dr. Pepper. That's right. That's right. right. All right. Um, one last fun question for you. So you and, and Corey, you have children. And uh, I'm wondering if there's anything that you do as a dad that consistently makes your kids roll their eyes at you. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> you might you know, not want to admit it. <laughs> I, I, that's, that's where we're at. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I will admit it just because. You could plead. Okay, go ahead. I was going to no, say you could plead the fifth. I, I, like, I like authenticity. <laughs> I like authenticity, so I'll tell the embarrassing stuff about me. Um, because of my job, <laughs> that's, yes. that's the only thing. Because of my job, you're, you're supposed to live in like a sort of uh, Peter Pan, never grow old type situation because right. you know my my 15 year old fans they don't want to know that i'm 46 years old i need right. to look roughly 35 ish yeah and so there's a lot of things that go along with that one of those things that goes along with that is working out a lot and right. so anytime i'm like oh I, I can't no i don't want a cookie and then i'll, I'll i will grab my gut like I'll grab my gut to see, no, I shouldn't have one. It's almost like I'm pinching the rolls yeah. to, to, to see if I'm allowed to have a cookie. And it, dri- <laughs> it drives my, my kids are like, you're I'm such like, a yeah. loser. 
Hey, she's <laughs> such a loser. <laughs> oh, I, hate, I love that. I hate to be superficial, but that's that is part of my job, I guess. Yeah, that's a, absolutely. Hey, you're just you're just trying to be faithful with what's been entrusted to you. So uh, that's good. No that's cookies good. for you. No cookies, but you're still allowing for the Dr. Pepper. So there's balance. That's true, there's and there is about there. 300 calories in there. Yeah, but that's okay. Don't don't you feel like those calorie menus really take the fun out of everything we're eating? It's like, don't show <laughs> yeah. me the calories. Let me find that out if I want to know it. Don't take the fun. That's out of right. This. Ignorance is bliss in that <laughs> situation. Is, that's right. Naivety. <laughs> <laughs> well, what can we expect to see from you in the coming months, and how can listeners keep up with your current projects? Oh, great. All right. Well, first of all, I would encourage uh, if people do want to know about the book, go to my website, johnlcooper.com. That's still the best place to buy the book. In fact, it's the only place besides Amazon, but Amazon is always out. But you can check on Amazon if you want. Uh, right. JohnLCooper.com. Um, my podcast is called Cooper Stuff, Cooper Stuff Podcast. And that's what I probably spend the most time on social media doing. I mean, I only do it once a week. It comes out on Mondays. But uh, check that out. You can get that on Apple or, or, or YouTube or what have you. Later this year, we are releasing new Skillet music. And I cannot wait for Skillet new music to come out. Um, not that long from now, within a, within a few months, and we're kind of coming wait. out with a, with a, a big right hook. Nice. So, um, yeah, I think that this is, in my, to my mind, this is like the, the post-pandemic rock album that people need. It's the album you need for the gym. Nice. You know what I'm saying? Nice. <laughs> for all those cookies you've been eating that you shouldn't <laughs> have been eating, for all those Zoom mullets, oh, uh, <laughs> Zoom mullets and cookies are over. You exactly. need this new skillet record, son. Nice. I love it. I love it. All right. So, so John L com and the book is awake and alive to truth. Definitely check it out. I had the opportunity to read it recently and very much enjoyed it. And I know you'll like it as well. If you get a chance to listen to it and uh, can't wait for new skillet music. That's awesome. You guys are always consistent with producing lots of good content. So really appreciate that. And, uh, and John, thanks so much for joining us today. It was really a pleasure to have you here on the dwell on these things podcast. I loved it. Thank you. Thanks for doing this. I, I, I love what you're doing. It's really great. People need it. So I want to thank everybody for taking the time to watch. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks again and have a great one. God's word will change our life, but sometimes it's hard to know where to start. Well, that's where I come in. I'm Jody Nisnik, host of So Much More, Creating Space for God, a scripture meditation podcast. And each week, I guide you through a scripture, giving you space to listen to the Spirit and pray about what's on your heart. Then we have a thoughtful conversation with guests to help us go deeper. Listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.